Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. Sit back and buckle up for a little bit of detail on this week's podcast. It is just Tim and Jacko. That's me talking about myself in the third person. And we're going to talk about shoulders, rotator cuff. This one, this one, meat on the bones, this one, sunshine. I've got a few philosophies in life, Tim. One is have a girlfriend with small hands. The other is, <laughs> this is another one about something. But then the third one is give the people what they want. And they have been asking for help around a lot of questions about the rotator cuff, people with shoulder pain, and they're wanting to understand the shoulder and the rotator cuff better so they can then uh, implement it into their training and be more awesome people with awesome, beautiful shoulders that don't hurt anymore. I don't know where to go with that. It was supposed to be serious, and you just come bowling in with that. Well, it gets very serious after this. Well, there's quite a lot of in this one, guys. So, so take um, take a sort of real honest listen to this one because um, it needs a bit of self reflection. If you are somebody who's got a history of or currently experienced some shoulder issues, but even if you haven't, and you think that you are, you know what? I'm not bothered. Shoulders are fine. Yeah, don't be too cocky with this one because there's some stuff for the future as yeah. well. Get your school calisthenics notebook out. And, and a pen ready if you haven't got one check it out in the shop um, if you're a visual learner visual person we are putting um, a highlight of this podcast with the visuals of the exercises that we talk about onto YouTube so if you're not watching uh, and you'd like to see that on YouTube check that out well, obviously we've got tutorials of all the things that we talk about inside the virtual classroom as well um, so you can check them out if you're a kinesthetic learner you might want to come to a workshop and come and hang out with us for the day <laughs> that is a great segue Timbo <laughs> brilliant yes we've had um, our, the next workshop has sold out already the, um, That might, when this goes out that might have passed but we've got workshops two workshops coming up in March which have been April we've got a coaching seminar in May and then going through the rest of the year we're going here there and everywhere as far as Norway and Sri Lanka and then as close as Leicester to Nottingham. And if you want a complete trifecta of auditory, <laughs> kinesthetic and visual learners, you might want to come to the podcast live. For the, for the audio experience. Yeah, which is actually going to be a kinesthetic and visual experience. But we'll do some chatting and some talking. Yeah. That's auditory, right? It's, uh, it, this, is, this is an event that uh, we've done two events um, the last two Junes and it's our sort of like school social, our live event. It's a free event and it is a, um, it's a thank you from us for listening to the podcast being part of the community and uh, we're trying to just bring people together for a great day and we're stepping it up not just one notch i'm going to say like tenfold this year it is going to be the podcast live that means the best um guests we've had on the podcast so far and and, and thank you for those of you that are listening and feeding back because um yeah, you're inspiring us to bring all these people together for a live podcast experience where not only will you be able to interact with the amazing guests that we've had, you'll be able to do, uh, they're going to be putting on taster workshops where you are going to be able to experience the things that they're talking about. So if they're talking, if it's Ollie Frost talking about mobility, we're going to do that with him. If it's the guys from We Move talking about deep ice meditation, we're going to jump in some deep ice and we're going to meditate that baby. And it's free. So come along and uh, join us in Nottingham on the 14th of june all the details for all those things are all on the website school of calisthenics.com plenty of stuff going on at the school of calisthenics at the moment so while you process all of that clear your mind a little bit and sit back have a little bit of a listen to us banging on about shoulders and the rotator cuff roll the jingle (laughs) 
the rotator cuff then, Tim. We're going to take a bit of a deep dive. It was podcast 113 last week, so therefore this is 114, potentially, if we've got everything all right in the right order um, <laughs> with the podcast. Um, so just tell us that a little bit around, um, or my first question actually is... That's what I felt like I was massively on I, the hot spot then. I was I, like, this, I've got one for you, I haven't prepared you for this. I believe, so my sources tell me, there are 17 muscles attached into the shoulder blade, which is one of the important areas we're going to be discussing when we talk about the rotator cuff. Name them. Oh, Christ. No, don't, don't, don't. I'll have a shot at it. No, you don't have to do it. Oh. Do you want to? Well, we could put the big ones. Well, we're going to cover that. Yeah. No. So, so we'll, let's just zoom zoom out. That was me just joking. We'll, but just give us a little bit of context for people going. When we're we're going to we're going to talk about this um, rotator. We've got a lot of questions coming in from people. It's often one of the big ones when people injure their shoulder that they they figure out or someone tells them or they they understand that it's they've got a rotator cuff problem. Let's go there. Actually, all right. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to again get. I don't think I'll get all seventeen. But let's just talk okay. because I think it's really interesting to, in that context of going issues with the rotator cuff. Or the or the shoulder as a like a broader thing. Yeah. What potentially could be acting on that, and it yeah. serves to show the complexity. Yeah, exactly. So should we take it in turns? <laughs> one, one, I can't. Yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> right, you go first. I'll let you have the first one. Um, I will go for the rhomboids. Rhomboids. Uh, let's go uh, mid trapezius. Can we then go lower trapezius? Yeah, that's. I think we'll probably differentiate those. We would normally categorize as mid and low, but let's okay. uh, together because it kind of. Work well, upper trapezius. So we've got all the trapeziuses. That's all four. of the trapeziuses. Um, I'm going to hit you with two just to get this moving. Otherwise, it's going to okay. take some while. Lats, pec. I was going to say, the only that was just one. <laughs> yeah, there's two more. Um, then uh, infraspinatus. Yeah, well, let's seven. tick off the rotator cuff in that order. So, infraspinatus, supraspinatus, uh, teres minor, and mm. subscapularis. That's uh, serratus anterior 11 probably serratus posterior I don't actually we don't really talk about that one a lot but I'm 12. assuming it has Bice, um, long head bicep yes long head tricep or short head of tricep yes long head um, that's maybe like 14 that's not a bad start close let's not get stuck I'm going to get bogged down and be like, oh, let me just think about this one there's probably some easy ones where people go I can't believe you've missed whatever but Interesting one, yeah, because there's there are Terra's major, but yeah, but throw into that conversation, yeah, Terra's major, yeah. So throw into that as well the fact that we are often talk about the shoulder as a joint, my shoulder joint, but it's also made up of four joints. So we have the sternoclavicular and these articulations between the scapula and other um, bones with it around the shoulder. So there's the there's the sternum, um, the sternoclavicular joint. We've got the scapulothoracic. The chromioclavicular, also known as AC, which you, you have separated. Yes. So there should be a tendon across there. And the main one which people are normally thinking about is the glenohumeral joint, which is yeah. the articulation between the humerus, the bone in the upper arm, and the glenoid fossa, which is this small dish-shaped um, socket, if you want to call it that, on the scapula itself. Yeah. So I'm just going to jump in with a uh, technical warning. We're going to get technical. And yeah. it already has done. And I think one of the things to t- try and take out of this is whether you understand all those joints or not, is the big picture is going, when you when we, when we someone points at their shoulder and goes, this hurts, I think it's my rotator cuff, just understanding that 
there is a lot there is there's a lot of stuff going on and there is more it's more than just one simple joint and that's where some of the issues come around and where this complexity of it is because when you've got a lot of working parts it means there's a number of things that can potentially go wrong yeah. whereas when you've only got like a very simple system there's a, you know there's only so many things that can go wrong with something that's less complex yeah and oftentimes people get in touch on instagram or, or whatever particularly and um they'll be like oh, i've got shoulder pain what should i do and we're like go and see someone because the complexity of the joint is such that we can't prescribe what could be potentially um, dysfunctional within that movement pattern, within the, the positioning of the joints, the articulation of the joints. We're going we're gonna to dive into some of this in a bit. Um, like even for my example, I've, I've come back to the start of this year with a little bit of shoulder uh, in pain and impingement, which I talked about at the beginning of the year in, in one of the podcasts. Um, but I went to a physio that I know, my friend Gemma um, Jefferson, to have a look at it because I was in the gym, but I don't know exactly what it is it, was, it wasn't working, even at, at my level of understanding like how to rehabilitate a shoulder. So you, you often some, just need some proper physiotherapy tests to identify it. However, with all that in mind, you might turn this off and go, crack, I don't know what those muscles are, I don't know what the joints are, and they're saying I need to go and see a physio if I've got pain. Where we want to go with this conversation is actually like top level, what 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 is a healthy shoulder um requiring what what does what do we need for a healthy shoulder and then just to understand a little bit more about as jacko said before what the rotator cuff does and what its job is because it gets thrown around a lot but probably sometimes with a little bit of misunderstanding about what could be sort of its role and then also why we need to kind of maybe pay a little bit of attention yeah my my hope for this podcast and for people listening is that you're going to you're going to get takeaways that are going to help you to direct your own training not if you've already injured whether wherever you are at but that you can start to some of you know as much of it's injury prevention as anything of going am i do if i understand the shoulder a little bit better and the role of the reticle a little bit better i can not only um potentially drop in a few additional exercises to help with my with my sort of health of my shoulder but even more or as equally important as going okay i'm going to try that exercise is going the stuff that you're already doing that's really good can you apply yourself even better in terms of the activation you go through and initiating the movements because you understand that role slightly better um yeah that's what that's what we're that's that's the plan that's where we're going to go so this should serve as a bit of education piece, and we've got some some really exciting content coming out. We're working with Ian Horsley, and we've got a great podcast to come with him, um, who's one of the leading shoulder experts in the country um, to, to de- develop uh, what we're calling bomb-proof shoulders. It's a term we've used for a while. Um, so there's going to be more coming out from us on this, so keep your eyes out for that. And we've also got another exciting little project in the pipeline, which is going to take things right back to basics for people. Um, but we'll talk more about that in the future. So, shall we get on to what is actually required for healthy shoulder function and performance, Jacko? Yes. I would like, can, can you kick off with, just go revisit those, uh, the muscles that make up the rotator cuff, so people, we understand what, and what each of those do, so we understand literally what the rotator cuff is, and some of the functions that it does, because even though it's called rotator cuff, it's not just about rotation, because the most common things you see for, and there's nothing wrong with rotational exercises to help with it, but it's not the only sole purpose of it. And if, as I said before, if we understand what its actual, what its, what its job is in, in its entirety, when you're doing 
any of the exercises for it, you're going to be able to apply that better. Yeah. Yeah. I think what, let's take this, we'll, we'll zoom in and we'll talk about the rotator cuff and then we're going to sort of come out. build out a little bit. So the rotator cuff are, are typically type one fibers. Stabilization is their major um, role and objective. They don't produce a lot of force, but they're part of this deeper stabilization system of musculature, which likes to work for longer periods of time, stabilizes joints, but doesn't create huge amounts of force. They leave that to the primary rivers, the bigger muscles on the outside or close to the surface of the body, which body, which we'll get to in a few minutes. When things are working correctly. If, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the rotator cuff, as I said before, we've got our supraspinatus and the function of a supraspinatus largely is to support with, um, in terms of movement, it's a t- some abduction. So moving, if your hand's by your side, lifting your hand up out, um, outside into like a T position, that would be our, our abduction position. We've got our teres minor, which is a sort of a, an external rotator, a lateral rotator. We've got a, um, where should we go next? Let's go. Infraspinatus. Infraspinatus. Like your main, main sort of external rotator so that's also going to be an external rotator and we've got our subscapularis which is a more of an internal rotator so it sits underneath the shoulder blade closer to the rib cage and then it's going to it's a weak internal rotator it also serves to sort of stop um humeral head moving forward so the head of the shoulder sort of translating forwards in the joint so it sort of positions it and oftentimes people will think about the rotator cuff and, and what do you do for a rotator cuff? Well, you stand there with a band or a cable in your, your hand, you hold your hand, put your hand out to the side, that external rotation of the shoulder. I often see people with a knee up on a bench and their elbows resting on it, doing a rotation with a dumbbell. And those are all good exercises in terms of supporting external rotation function. But if you look at a picture of the rotator cuff, you'll see that where it's, it's sort of attachment points on the scapula and the shoulder and the muscular, the bone bony um, structures around the shoulder and then on the humeral head if we look at what it does when it contracts it's actually just going to pull the shoulder head the humeral head into the socket the glenofossa so it closes the space in that in that glenohumeral joint and packs it in tight and that's where we talk about with the stabilization um, role of that musculature and sort of 90 percent of um, glenohumeral joint stability is created by muscle activation and the thing to note about that glenohumeral joint which is the one we're going to focus on out of those four is it has such a massive range of movement it's probably the most mobile joint in the body ball and socket joint but very different to the hip in that in the hip, we've got a deep acetabulum where the, the head of the humerus sits right into a real bony socket. It's wrapped up super tight. Imagine putting your fist in your other hand and just gripping your, your fist with that outer hand. That's a bit more what the, the hip's like. So it can move and rotate as a result of the longer neck on the femur, but it is pretty secure. On the shoulder of the glenohumeral joint, what we've got is like a T a T um, saucer, and you've got the head of the humerus sat in this saucer, so it has such range of movement, but it's very easy for that humeral head to move around inside that saucer, and that's where the problem comes. If we're lacking rotator cuff stability around that joint, that humeral head isn't centered. Um, in the fossa correctly it doesn't have the neuromuscular control to sit within that fossa well and it can then therefore get bullied a little bit or has the freedom is the wrong word it sounds like it's a choice it has the um the opportunity to move into less than optimal positions and that's when we can start to struggle with control and potentially pain is one of the things that's going to come out of that as well yeah um so just jumping in there around, um, just back to what you said, like at the beginning, those external rotation exercises, when you go, yes, they're, that's, that's valid for strengthening external rotation. One of the 
biggest weaknesses people have around the shoulder and the, the cuff is its ability to 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 create external rotation. Um, but that being when you break down what those four muscles of the rotator cuff do, that's only it's not a targeting all of them and it's not looking at all of its all of its function. Um, on top of that, you've got those things are attaching onto the shoulder blade. You can do any of this is what I'm going with in terms of uh, trying to help people understand um, a little bit further so that they can apply any of the exercise they do better. You can be doing the right thing, but if you've got your shoulder blade in a really poor position, well then, because that's what they're attaching onto there, then you're you're already you might be doing the right exercise, but you're um, you're starting with the your shoulder blade in a poor position, and therefore you're compromising the the the, the, the motion that you're doing, and yeah. it's not going to be it's not going to be optimal. So that that's where it starts. There's more than there's more than when you've mentioned all those joints at the start. There's more than one thing at play here. And so having a better understanding of that and the roles of all those uh, different muscles are going to help us to not only select good exercises to do, but also make us perform them more yeah. effectively. And I think that's a really important point because we talk about, like I sometimes think when we, when we discuss anatomy, what, what if people are visual learners, they'll think, oh, I've seen a picture of the shoulder before and they'll picture that stereo, like that, that standard um, skeletal picture hand down by the side and you can see the musculature over the top of it that's how i often yeah. sort of like think about anatomy when I'm, I'm trying to like process something but then you've also got to think what happens when that arm moves because that's only a static position you go okay yeah, i can see that but in the shoulder because of the range of movement and what's what's happening is as the, as the shoulder goes into flexion overhead the scapula or the shoulder i should say the arm moves up into scapula. so imagine bringing your hand up in front of the body as that arm starts to come up overhead the scapula has to upwardly rotate and move to basically keep the fossa on the scapula in contact with the head of the humerus imagine a ball try, uh, a seal trying to keep a ball on its nose those two systems and those two bony structures are having to articulate really well together in a really synchronized pattern to make sure that the head of the humerus stays attached in the right place on the fossa and research is it goes back some time but they suggest that the optimal alignment of the of the um, glenoid cavity the long axis of the humeral head is 29.3 degrees so you think from a static position you go okay 29.3 i can understand that but then think about all the things that you want to do in sport or movement you want to go and do a muscle up you want to go and throw a ball you want to hit a tennis ball I want to play tennis or whatever. As that arm is moving in all those different positions, ideally, that humeral head and the orientation of that into the fossa should stay in a fairly accurate position. And when we think that one to two millimeters of uncontrolled translation of that humeral head could result in an injury, we understand now that the shoulder requires some real specificity in terms of control strategies to be able to op op function optimally without pain. And those con control strategies are then also going to be determined by the quality and the um, uh, the condition of the length tension relationships around the joints so the muscle lengths, which could potentially bully it. And that's where we, we move on to some of the stuff around the prime movers of what yeah. are the potential issues. But there's probably some more in that before we move on to that. Yeah, definitely. Because like those two, like some of the calisthenics examples, you go, <laughs> if I'm going to, when I'm doing a muscle up or I'm doing a handstand or trying to get out of my frog stand, like I'm not thinking about, or we, you know, we are not able or need you to be thinking about what exact angle of articulation have I got around my, my shoulder joint. The, the quality of that movement needs to have been, needs to have been conditioned and drilled to it that we're automatic, not 
Yeah, I guess automatically that you have that neuromuscular control of and the joints moving correctly in that you've that you've almost you know you've effectively drilled that drilled that and you and you've built that up in your in your training so that when you go and do something more complex like a muscle up and you're thinking about everything else that you need to do in terms of getting over the bar or between the rings that the then shoulder is just he he on his own is like taking care of himself like he knows what he's doing and he's like i'm going to stay here and we're going to create good strides here and I'm, and i've and i've worked through good uh, i've worked through good range um and i can control the, those two things around around your shoulder blade positioning and then the the humeral head in the at the joint that you've got control of those two things automatically. Whereas if you think in the muscle up is a good example of that humeral head wanting to shoot forward when you go into into through the transition. That if you haven't got that control of that through simpler exercises, there's no way when you go into something like a muscle up that you're going to be able to control your humeral head. It's going to go to what you've been teaching yeah. it. So, Well, yeah, the, the strongest player in that situation or that conversation is going to win. And yeah. that's where, like, if you haven't got... If we think that 90% of joint stability is, is, um, is created by compression of the joint and the rotator cuff is going to serve a huge amount of that... Um, that, com uh, that com uh, of creating that compression. If it's weak and the pecs are tight and the pec is just trying to like take over and stabilize the shoulder in like in a muscle up is a great example then it's super easy to think that we're going to have a we're going to start to have an issue if that shoulder head is just jumping forwards and and I think that in in shoulder injuries or people with a shoulder pathology, 67 to 80% of them will have some form of scapular dyskinesis, which is effectively means that this, the shoulder blade isn't moving optimally. And we'll know that we'll see people in the gym all the time who aren't technically injured, yeah. but have still got pretty crap shoulder range of movement. And or you, not shoulder, shoulder range, sorry. They've got pretty poor quality scapular yeah, articulation with the human yeah. head, yeah. And like you could 100% do that, um, a good external rotation exercise like you... you um, that, you know, the, I'm thinking of the one that you mentioned at the beginning with like sort of sitting on a bench with your knee up and your arm out to the side and you're going through uh, controlling internal rotation on the down, then the strength to pull against gravity for, with, a very, with a light dumbbell. You could easily do that with a light dumbbell and have the head of your humerus like rammed right to the front of the position. And you might have enough space in there to not actually create any impingement, but you're just teaching a poor pattern and building up sort of um, the, not just the pattern, but also like the strength in a poor pattern. Um, and then you, that is said, then you're going to go and take that into something else, like a muscle yeah. up, and you're going to see it again. And then just adding in the fact that, like, our, this is where then our range, you know, you've talked before about range of motion being the cornerstone of performance. Some of these things are going to happen because you literally can't access the right shoulder position that you want. So you're wanting to go into good um, extension, so arm behind the body, and that use the ring muscle up as an example. You're wanting to access that. If you if your shoulders all jacked up and tight, well then he's he's got to find somewhere else to get that range. Your elbow's going to kick outside. Head of the humerus is going to jam forward. Um, that over a period of time is going to cause some issues because you're closing down some of the space around the joint. Yeah, um, which you know you'll get into in a second. But just setting that, hopefully that gives you an idea of yeah where things can go when they're not going right. And and that's one of my complaints with sort of a, it's I haven't got an issue with CrossFit, but it's one of the, it's a great example of how. I'd be pretty confident to bet that CrossFit has done a good job of helping physios stay in business of fixing shoulders. And it's not that there's anything wrong with CrossFit and what we're asking people to do. It's the, it's, it's the, it's the level of control and prepare, preparedness that people have got for that. So a CrossFit-style muscle-up 
where you are sort of using a huge amount of momentum, if you don't have control of that shoulder through those patterns, you're going to have a problem. And yeah. often when those things are being done off the back of having done snatches or overhead squats or... Yeah. So, so these systems are are very sort of like power and strength based. They don't give a huge amount of, of um, acknowledgement and time dedicated to stabilization functions. And we're getting people coming in who have probably got some form of shoulder dyskinesis and then we're teaching them explosive movements without actually kind of doing the underpinning work of stabilizing the shoulder to prepare them for that. Caveat, I know that's not all CrossFit and I'm not yeah. I'm not broad brushing it, but I know that from a that there are lots of people there are the, the number of shoulder instances of it or injury instances in CrossFit is is high yeah. globally. When we've had people come when they come to a workshop and they've they've come they they you know they they love CrossFit and they take part in CrossFit and they've they might want to come and and their is their words are I want to come and learn it strict or learn it proper they um in terms of in terms of their muscle up. but it's almost what I want to say is it's almost arguably um, a more advanced movement to do it with so much speed and momentum yeah. not from a so people go oh no you like kipping or you're using momentum like so therefore it's easier in terms of force so yeah you're not going to have to be as strong but you if you're going to come control through that strategy. yeah control strategy is like tenfold whereas you go super slow and super strict because you're so strong well actually it's much easier to control yeah. that because you're moving so slowly, whereas actually you've got to be a lot more reactive and dynamic with that stability, which is so much, well, not just stability, but with that whole range of um, of motion and control yeah. through the shoulder. So uh, I've never thought of it that way before, but it's arguably more advanced. I think 100%. A kipping version is, is way more advanced from a from a control perspective, yeah. not from a can I complete the movement perspective. Yeah. And those two things are quite different. And let's balance the conversation and let go there are multiple sports, many sports that are exactly the same. Yeah. So slalom, like white water slalom, for example, your shoulder's going to get absolutely hammered in those positions, positions against unpredictable forces. Rugby is a massive player. We've got overhead positions. We've got um, the same kind of issues around just a chaotic environment yeah. for the well, shoulder it's, it's the shoulder yeah. will get confused in the not that it doesn't know what it's trying to, what it's got to do but it's just we're, we're, we're putting an onslaught of, of of demands upon it that it's just not prepared for when yeah. we when we're doing these uncontrolled movements and, and my shoulders i am testament i can speak from authority on this because a lot of my shoulder issues if i've had multiple dislocations have come from not having a good enough control strategy. I couldn't keep the head of the uh, the ball of the head of the humerus in the in the socket. That was my my issue for whatever reason. And that's before you started calisthenics. Before, since it hasn't dislocated. True. It's, I also it's, stopped playing rugby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The um, the one thing I just wanted to say on that is that um, we can do anything well, or we can do anything poorly, whether it's calisthenics, CrossFit a rugby tackle or whatever um just understanding that what you're what you're going in so the same way you get what you train for understanding when you go and do something like if there are dangers of that just being aware of what they are so um me saying oh you shouldn't do x because that's not good for your shoulder when i've played over 300 games of rugby like what's one of the worst things you can do for the shoulder try and ram it into a guy that's miles bigger than you and try and stop him like yeah, while he's trying to move out, out of the way yeah but it wasn't like I went into and the number of bones I've broken playing rugby and you know a head injury ended my career there's at no point did I go in, at no point did I turn around and go whoa hold on a minute no one told me I could get hurt doing this like you mm. know that it's a contact sport and you know what you're getting yourself in for it's not to say that you, you know you're not trying to get injured um, but 
you know that there's you know that there is that potential so i think that's where using that analogy with like our training you know we should be when we're in the gym making sure that we're doing things that are going to make us healthier and make us better and we can we move better and we're stronger and more stable because of it if you choose to do certain sports that have like danger attached to them then just understand you know you know what you're getting yourself in for and then therefore make sure your training prepares you best for whatever it is you're going to go and do you know yeah. if i'm going to go and do tough mudder you know there's something that i sign that disclaimer that when i run through that electricity thing at the end that i know, I know that running through electricity <laughs> might give me a bit of a zap which it did last time <laughs> and i think like it's important to zoom out as well let's just take a big broad um picture for a second because we, we often talk around the importance of system-wide movement and, the, and functional movement as a whole it's not just about the shoulder so we could all go like helpful leather go right loads of the rehabilitation or prehabilitation robustness work whatever you want to call it around the shoulder but understand that that is the shoulder particularly in force generation is going to be part of a sequence or, or the kinetic chain so you can sort of the stats will, will also vary but if we say that in a throwing motion or, or a punching motion 50% of force is going to be generated from the lower body tackling rugby will be the same 30% from the midsection and 20% from the shoulder often we would have had in, in strength and conditioning the conversation around oh no you don't don't let your knee become valgus or dive inwards in a squat that's not good for you if you squat that's an energy leak so we do a lot of work on stabilizing the glutes screwing the hips out making sure that we've got a good alignment through our squat funnily enough we don't pay the same attention to the shoulder but it's exactly the same if the shoulder lacks that stability requirement to keep the shoulder positioned in a good place it's an energy leak and because it's so vulnerable because of the range of movement and the architecture of the joint, that's when we can have problems because one to two millimeters of uncontrolled translation could cause an injury. Now, if you go and watch some of the um, Olympic weightlifters at the Olympics, they're, they're doing a PB snatch to win a gold medal. Their knees are flipping all over the place, like Bambi. But the architecture and the stability, the musculature around the joint for the knee makes it a more stable joint than the shoulder. Therefore, it's less likely to get injured. Not that it won't get injured, just less likely, I would imagine. And we can probably statistically have a look at that. Yeah. Um, so we have to understand that the shoulder is going to be, if it's a weak link and we're transferring force through the chain, that's where the injury is potentially going to happen. And again, go back to some of the examples we used before, a, a CrossFit muscle-up or a, a rubber tackle or anything like that, there's forces being generated outside of just around the shoulder. We're using the hips and the, and the core or whatever to transfer them. So we do need to think about system-wide movement when we are thinking about training the shoulder. It's not enough for me just to sit with your elbow on your knee doing a rotation because you're not integrating that stability back into, into a full pattern. Yeah, it's like it won't. You then ask it to do something more complex like that muscle-up and it might just go back to whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my shoulder's, got before. my shoulder's great if it's supported in a stable position with a rear light weight, like yeah, like it is in that, that shape. It's not great when all of a sudden it's not supported and I'm moving and I'm on and a set of rings or whatever. Supporting my whole body weight on an unstable ring. Yeah. So that we need it's to have this scale and progression within that. And so we're challenging the shoulder and the rotator cuff in, in, a, 
in different ways. I don't want to knock you off your stride. I had two points. I've already forgotten one of them. So <laughs> I'm going to go with one. It was like the, the, everything you were talking about there um, around um, create, have, making sure that we're able to then create that stability for the shoulder. The, the, just to touch on the fact that your brain has a very good coping strategy for if it senses the joint being unstable, how am I going to artificially effectively create that stability? I'm going to crank pec and lat on and I'm going to stop that thing moving. And that what that looks like for you is uh, sort of posturally the shoulder being sat in a poor position because it's being tugged on by pec and lat. You're gonna, it's going to affect your range of motion and it might just be that you just feel tight or down the line that can lead us on then onto um, not only injury but potentially some of the poor positioning or postural control of it and the fact that you're asking your prime movers like your pecking lat to do some of the stabilizing job they're not going to be able to work efficiently in terms of putting down force so you're not going to potentially feel as strong so yeah you're dead right that's a great point because if that pec and pec and lat are both internal rotators of the shoulder, so they'll want to kind of round that shoulder forward. So if you if you see people posturally they're super hunched over, we call that kyphosis in the upper spine is bent. Pec and lat are just having a party, like they're on all the time. And what happens in that situation is that we're going to get some. It's called artificial reciprocal inhibition, but effectively the tight agonists in that position, the pecs and the lats, are going to decrease the neural activation to the opposite function. So if pec and lat are internally rotating, the musculature which wants to externally rotate the shoulder is being shut down. And the shoulder is a little bit more complicated, but we do know that we'll get overactivity of pec and lat, underactivity of um, of the rotator cuff, and then also rhomboids and mid trapezius as well. Those mm. musculature uh, which are wanting to retract, depress, move the shoulder blade backwards, effectively away from um, being rounded forwards and protracted, want to move it back towards the spine. And I think we've over the years things have been sort of got a little bit clouded we want protraction we want upward rotation of the scapula because we have to if we're going to go into overhead positions it's not that protraction is bad it's just bad if it's causing us to not be able to retract or it's causing some some funkiness around shoulder articulation the quality of the joint and my last point before you jump in is that research will also say that if this and and this is based on sort of attractive shoulder blade and the way they did the test but i think we can imply that towards the bigger conversation if the scapula um, is in a stable position we can produce 24 percent more force and anybody who's had a shoulder issue and i remember this it's as clear as day. It's almost one of those feelings that doesn't leave you when you've had a history of shoulder problems. Is trying to dumbbell press in the gym, feeling like you're trying to grind out the last rep. You're with your bros, you got your vests on, like had a protein shake before we it's started. Your last, it's your last set, so your vest is off. Yeah, and like the pre-workout's kicked in. <laughs> yeah. Like, nah, we are, we are buzzing to get this one out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm driving that one up, and my mate's going, go on, go on, go on. And then all of a sudden, boom, shut down. The shoulder just caves in. The ball is still in the socket, but like the brain has gone, nah. Like it's just literally taken away all of the force. And for me, that's not, you're not, you've not lost the strength to be able to do it. It's at the back end of a set where that typically occurs. And it's probably because the stabilization system has gone, guys, I'm done. I can't do anymore. So the brain's gone, shoulders unstable, shut the power down, preserve the joint, and protect integrity yeah. uh, of the system. And it's miserable. And it's um and it's it's that thought sort of thought of going if we just a little bit more mindful about how we train the shoulder, twenty four percent more force if it's in a stable position, 
whether that's retracted or protracted, I'll take 24% more force any day of the week. Yeah. But if I ignore that and I continue to train and try and produce force, pec and lat get stronger. They bully the shoulder into worse positions still. We lose a postural control. And within this podcast, we're not going to dive into the specific injuries and diagnosing them because it's too complicated. But we know that we're going to get wear and tear of tendons and we can potentially end up in a bit of tendonitis. Um, we can get impingement syndromes where we're effectively the most common one being like the subacromial space, the space between the, the head of the humerus and the acromion and um, that acromioclavicular joint effectively closing down. So the greater tubercle grinds on the top of the acromion or in that space. We don't have clearance anymore to move the shoulder into good positions. And a whole manner of things can start to, to spew and off the back of it. Yeah, when you've got like that sort of sharp, stabby pain around the front of the shoulder, yeah, that's when you do flexion, like that's, yeah. going, that's going on. There's loads of stuff that can, start to, that can start to niggle. And that's where like hopefully some of this conversation has encouraged you to think, well, if you have got shoulder pain, I realize it's an inconvenience and a cost to go and get someone to have a look at it. But if you just leave it, you're going to get yeah. what you've got. It's yeah. not all of a sudden, it's unlikely to all of a sudden just go away. Yeah. And one of the, like, as you said about um, when when you've got that sort of overactivity or tightness of, or that kythotic position where your shoulders rounded forward and that, that sort of artificial recipient vision going, I like to think of it quite simply of going, if you're, if you're letting... If you're, this is where it becomes a bit of like self-awareness. Like, am I aware of my positioning or my posture? If you are um, letting pack and lat do that job of stabilizing the shoulder and round forward, and then you go about over your training like that, you're giving the brain no reason to use those muscles, the, the stabilized muscles around the back of the shoulder. So you'll go, you'll just let the brain's going, all right, you're quite happy with us just letting peck and lat do this as well great i'll crack on like don't you're not giving me i'm not going to change that i'm just going to like let that be your course of action and that is only going to lead you down it's going to impair your performance and if not going to at some point cause us injury so do you want a little case study step one well just, just step one is i've got a really good example where <laughs> step one is literally understanding like am where am i at um, yeah. And hopefully we can we can do start to do a better job of this <laughs> on on that. When I first started doing weight training at 16 years old in the rugby club, bench pressing with just an unloaded bar. That's where I was at, shaking like a dog doing a turd. <laughs> that, family show, it's a family show. A twenty a twenty a, a twenty kilo bar unloaded. Literally, like that was that was dangerous. But I remember, no, I remember this distinctly. I did. I did um, being able, starting to be able to see out of my peripheral vision on each eye, my shoulders. And I used to think <laughs> initially that it's because my shoulders were like growing. And I may have had some level of like increase in muscle size, but mainly <laughs> what was happening was they were just rounding forward. And as you, if you're sat there now or standing now or wherever you're, and you can see your shoulders at the corner, right, the chances are that they're quite far forward. And all I was doing was loads of bench press and effectively just pulling my shoulders forward. forward. In my head, I'm going, like, this is great. Look how, look how big my shoulders are getting. Yeah, yeah. I was just like getting into a worse and worse and worse One of the situation or position from my shoulder one of the tests of physios they'll do on the swimmers like Richie does is a standard is to get the guys to lie on the back and measure the distance from the bench to the back of the shoulder um, as an indicator of sort of pec minor length yeah. um, and we actually like, I remember I came back from I started bro training like in Australia and then that stemmed into when I was in Zanzibar and we just did like on a beach I had my shirt off every day so what do you do most of um, chest mirror muscles <laughs> yeah exactly um, I came back and my sister's a physio uh, works with paediatrics but she got me I was lying on the floor at my mum and dad's house and she said what have you done and my shoulders were like flipping miles off the floor and I was like what 
gains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so just another little case study on that one. So current one for me, I came back at the beginning of it's the just year. On that. It's an easy way for people to like just do a very sort of arbitrary yeah. test of like the, the position of your humeral head of like how literally how far forward is it? When you're lying on your back, how far off the floor yeah. does it feel? Can you see it out of the corner of your eye in your peripheral vision because it's just rammed forward too much? Yeah, let's go back or a step you on that. Massive it's a good point on that you've got like, can you move your shoulder through 360 degrees range of movement in all positions pain-free? That's a really good starting point. Um, have you posturally, does it look like the shoulders jump forwards? Have you got one which is like elevated yeah. opposite to the other one? So yeah. those are some good sort of like real simple things you can do in the mirror and movement tests. And then are there movements when you're training that you do where it feels unstable or cause you pain? Because it could be that it's not painful to move without load, but under fatigue, that stabilization yeah. system starts to wear down. So within a session, you started to find that, you know what, I was okay at the beginning. Yeah. Now my shoulder's starting to hurt. That, that would lead itself more towards an issue around, well, there's probably some muscle imbalance, but then there's also a control issue and that there's some fatigue kicking in and we're not able to stabilize and control the demands of the session without causing some some knock-on issues um, and then as a result of that the bone isn't moving or the joint's not moving optimally um so an example from from me at the moment i've had a little bit of i, I deloaded quite aggressively and unintentionally while i was away in south africa over christmas probably three to four weeks of not doing a lot and came back in the gym and my shoulder just wasn't feeling very good i had some pinching at end range just felt like a little bit of pain um going through my 360 like my bar overhead rotations um felt like something was sort of catching so i tried to train it out for a while thinking it was probably just a little bit of, of muscle under activity and, and just needed to get back into it Gave that sort of two or three weeks. It did improve and I could sort of start to knock a little bit of the discomfort on the head, but wasn't solving it at all entirely. So I got in touch with Gemma. She had a look at it and effectively some of the detraining hadn't helped, but I've always known that my right shoulder is less stable than my left. The left is the one that I've had surgery on twice. So I've done a lot of rehab on my left. And everyone knows that rehab's really boring. So if you've got one shoulder that's not injured, why would you do that one as well? You just yeah, do the one yeah, that's hurt, yeah. right? And also, as soon as it stops hurting, you stop, you stop doing your rehab, rehab, whereas you should finish it up. It's like your course of antibiotics. Finish that bad boy. Yeah, exactly. That's why calisthenics is great in the, of, of, of a lead-on from a rehabilitation phase of, <clears throat> of do your rehab, and then calisthenics, you can move that in because it's more interesting rather than just doing banded exercises with your rotator cuff. But Gem gave my shoulder a full screen, had a good look through it, um, and ultimately what's happened is I'm like a typical case of, not, of, of being overpowered in pec and lat. And if we think about how we do an active hang is a good example. It might be that I'm sort of single arm from a bar, single arm active hang. To hold that position, I'm going to crank in hard. And that is going to do a huge amount of work because I'm asking my, my shoulder to support my 70-odd five kilos of, of weight on it. The rotator cuff is not going to do that by itself. But the problem that I've got is this rotator cuff isn't doing enough. And, and I've also got a little bit far too much mobility around my shoulder. So because of my laxity around the joint, let's call it that, I don't know that I'm hypermobile. I just don't have, I have a lot of freedom in my joints. I dislocated my hip before. Um, I never really struggled with, with like those kind of range of movement things. But what that means is my control strategy has got to be so much better, particularly around the shoulder, because I have so much options to move, or so many options, um, I need to be able to, really be very sniper-like with how that shoulder is going to move. <clears throat> and ultimately, 
I've lost a little bit of that control. So the stabilizing structures around my shoulder aren't working accurately enough. So I'm having to strip it back. And there's a real simple exercise that we use, which is like a, just a retraction. So like grab a band, wrap it around your hand and just pull the shoulder into the socket. So the, the band is just providing something to pull against. Gem's got my hand and she's holding it and she and I'm pulling it. And she's like, no, it's Latin peck, Latin peck, Latin peck. And I'm just trying to crank it in and come yeah. on, this is flipping, feels great. And then just that reminder, and I've had to do it through rehab before, of how subtle that movement needs to be yeah. to just to fire the rotator cuff. It's also the difference between going like retraction and we hear a lot of like, there's, yeah. like retraction is a good thing, but going, but that's predominantly like rhomboids retracting. Yeah. It's not... You can do. I can do all retraction without really thinking about what is actually the, my humor head doing and what what's the engagement of an activation of the takeoff in that role. And we're trying to just just an just a really nice example of going like, what are you trying to what are you trying to achieve? What is the what are the thing is that you're actually doing? And with the shoulder, there's so many different things that can go on. I think the other one is going that as you mentioned around like lat pulling down like. Just because a we often sort of put these different muscles like we we segment them of the this muscle does this and this muscle does this and therefore I'm going to do this active hang and that means I'm going to get mid low mid low trap working whereas actually lat can tug down on that um, on that scapula as well and chances are if he's dominant and that's the guy you're using all the time, you do a nice active hang and then you're just going to crank down through yeah. that. People and use the same example for farmer's walks. Great for the shoulders. Well, it depends because it's probably lap, which is just going to hang a huge amount of that stability. It's going to just yeah. cling it on for dear life. Yeah. Well, and then, well, I think the other thing is then if you take something like um, a human flag or some of the other more complex moves that we're trying to do, we're effectively going to be asking like, everything to do all its stuff like really well so like you know on that if i'm thinking about that lateral sling on that top side of that human flag yes mid low traps work into and, and retakeoff's trying to suck that uh, humor head into the into the joint and lats pulling but lats also going to probably be took like everything's going to be work is like there's probably going to be doing a decent level of its like stabilization role in that position and yeah. in there in that position we're going like it's not bad but if you're if you're um if you're trying to like do a little bit of like shoulder health robustness work and you've got a little bit of a niggle and you're trying to um, reduce that or, or get rid of it, then we need to make sure that the exercise we're doing and the load we're doing it through is sufficient for the t- the muscle that you're going to then try and work so that you're not having to. If you grab that that exercise you were talking about, you've got that um, you've got that sort of external rotation sucking the humeral head in. If you use a band that's so strong, you're going to have to like basically just use rhomboids to crank it or lat to pull it through. Whereas we need to be a little bit more subtle when we're using some of these sort of smaller stabilizing yeah. uh, muscles. So again, you, that comes back to that. You get what you train for. If you give yourself something really difficult to do, your body's going to have to crank some of the big boys in to, to get that thing moving. And it's a really difficult way to train actually, because it's quite hard because you've got to go, back against everything which yeah. you sort of want there's, to do there's no pump <laughs> yeah no um and yeah you've got to go back to the to sort of really feeling the detail of, of the movement but I go back to that point of people are struggling to do pull-ups and we'll see people's funky scap movement in pull-ups all the time we we go what do you need to do like more eccentrics i can use the bands if i want to might do some isometric holds some horizontal rowing yeah all great that'll all work but what about just getting the scap to move better 
because if we can get the scap to be more stable and the joint to move better by just focusing on the quality of the movement and the level of control that we've got, we get 24% more force. And I'm using that number as an example. Yeah. It might not be always the same, but what I know from having trained athletes over the years is if I increase the stability of a joint, any joint, lower body, hip, knee, ankle, whatever it might be, as, a, as again, as an integrated unit, I get more power. I, mean, yeah. I know that. I've seen it over and over again. And I'm going to go back now because I'm currently sat here with a hole in my leg. When I feel like I want to get back in the gym, I can't do a huge high amount of intensity stuff. So I'm just going to go back and I'm just going to really go and just dive into this this shoulder stuff and just start to get some feeling back. And it's not something that's going to have to be in my program all the time. But if I'm perfectly honest, it's something that hasn't been in my program for two years, I would think, maybe more. Because I've just I haven't needed it. But yeah. what I need to do is my rec my learning from this is like I always need a little bit of that. Yeah. And it can be it's a great particularly for me because of what a shoulder architecture is like. Yeah. Some people might get away with less of it. Yeah. Because they've just got a better they've got less like freedom of movement, less degrees of freedom. For me, that's my kryptonite. Yeah. I've got to do a better job. Yeah. And it, it fits into your it fits into our framework of of the movement patterning. Uh, sorry, movement preparation. It doesn't have to be this whole extra session like we've talked about with like mobility training. It doesn't have to be this whole separate thing. You've got to carve out another twice a week to do it. It it can be integrated into what we're doing at the end of warm-ups. You know, a really good example um, of, a, of an exercise that people will have seen hopefully from us is uh, like a YTW or variation of that. And we've got a few other ones um, thinking of that row rotation press on the stability ball that's in the... Uh, I think it's in either... The, part of the handstand or the flag, or the yeah. flag one um potentially even muscle but it's they're, they're good exercises where particularly think like your your y and your w position if you think about how the arms are moving through that and where your shoulder blade is going to have to go overhead and then it's coming back and you're coming into the um effectively your w is like the top of your pull-up and your y is like the bottom of your pull-up so but under you're not using load that's going to mean that you're compensating elsewhere it means you're going to be able and you just can start by just using literally just moving your arms but you're able to then start to get a bit better awareness and control of how is your scapula moving during that motion how is your humor head moving in relation to your scapula through that range of motion you're gonna and the fact that you're lying face down prone so face down you're fighting gravity you're sort of the stabilizers of the shoulder not only making it move correctly but they're also doing a nice job to keep it nice and flush to the ribcage, fighting against um, gravity. Yeah, and I don't know if this is just for me because of the, the mobility that I have around my shoulder, but one of the most important things that I, I got out of my session with Jen is for, for, her to, for her to look at me and me be setting, or setting, we don't really like to use that word these days, but positioning my scaps or going through some range of movement and her going, yeah, yeah, that's it that's it no that's that's not right because it gives me that feeling of okay that's the position because if you've kind of beaten your shoulders up a little bit like i have done over the years and you got to a point where we've got some um an injury or lack of neuromuscular control or something's going on the chances are that we don't we've lost a little bit of perspective about what's right or what's the what's the most optimal strategy so again if you're in a situation where you've got an injury or some pain just getting someone to feed back and go, yeah, 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 that's the place. Move like that. And then what you're going to find is when you feel that, it is probably, for me at least, way more sensitive 
than I think it, it is. So yeah, I can crank it and go, boom, yeah, that's on. And again, no, no, it's not. It's probably 50% less than that to actually get the isolation, the stabilizing musculature. And then when I move, it's more like an, I'm more like an artist of how I want to move and I want to glide and I want to control, be very sort of delicate with my movements as opposed to, even you take a row, press and rotate, ah, boom, ro row, rotate, bang, press, bang, and I'm just going to smash these things out. You want to float, like yeah, it's a delicate. real glide sort of movement. Think again, we're not training power and massive force output, we're training stabilization. These are precise, accurate like well, gentle you always talk about movement should be beautiful when you talk about the framework yeah. of like movement and strength movement should be beautiful i remember conversations with uh, that shoulder expert physio from works with um sort of the top shoulder guy in the country ian Horsley, where he was talking about it should he used the term like into un unloaded but like someone's like lifting their, they're in a shoulder flex desk lifting their arm up overhead or going through some race it should be effortless mm. which is a nice way to think about it whereas how many times at the beginning of a workshop and we do some um some uh, like a test retest to go right we're going to give you these three uh, three things or three or four things to to just assess your range of motion of the shoulder one of which is standing flat up against the wall and lifting your arms up straight overhead how does that feel and the strain going through people's faces because they're trying to do it well it's the opposite of of um of effortless um, so that's just something to, to think about when we're going, mm. when we're looking at this sort of the move, we're effectively looking at the movement and stabilization side of things. Whilst we know you're probably really enjoying the podcast, there's something else that we think you will also really enjoy. And that is the virtual classroom. If you're a beginner, we have got an eight week free beginners program designed to help you start your calisthenics journey where you're going to learn how to move better get superhuman strong and have a lot of fun along the way if you're ready to take your training to the next level and learn some of the iconic calisthenics movements like a frog to handstand or a muscle up then inside the virtual classroom you are going to find all the training programs and educational information that you need but rather than keeping you from the podcast for any longer than necessary, head over to schoolofcalisthenics.com where you're going to find a bodyweight training resource which is different to anything else available anywhere. Tim, I think they're ready to get back to the podcast. There's a, it's not an easy sort of like solve all for the shoulder, but I think understanding where you are and, and grab if, you, if, you've, if you're struggling with a little bit of... Um, of, of issues around your shoulder just grab a photo or get someone or, or take get someone to take an image of you front on side on look at the back like look like move your hands around up to the side overhead up in front of you do you do your shoulder blades move sym symmetrically are they jumping is one sort of say stuck can you see anything funky going on and that might just give you a bit of awareness but i, I honestly um I'm not a massive fan of medicalizing everything, but I do think around the shoulder, getting to support is the number one most useful thing you can do because they'll just tell you then what you need to go and yeah. do. Even for me, I felt like I got to stage, I tried a few different things, it wasn't improving, and now I'm shooting in the dark. So the only logical thing for me to do is to go and get some support as opposed to just shooting in the dark for longer because yeah. I don't want to be messing up. I want it fixed. I want to get on yeah. with it. And I think I'd say just encourage people on that in terms of like videoing yourself, doing a couple of like basic movements, you'll get a ton of feedback and you can start to understand yourself. And, and this is definitely like, I just encourage everyone to do that. Even if you're, um, even if you're not injured, haven't got pain, like, do a pull-up and video it from behind with a vest on or top off if you fancied it. But just so that you can actually, you don't want to do it with a hoodie on. We want to be able, you want to be able to see what's going on. You'll be able to, 
you'll be able to notice like do things look symmetrical what's moving you might you might never have even really thought about before. you might go oh what's that and you, oh, I can actually see my shoulder blade moving mm. here and, um, and the first thing to think about with that is is like with the, the movement stuff pull up active hang push up just yeah. video it and see am I actually moving because it might be that you're not in pain but if you're not moving symmetrically then it's certainly not going to be optimal but and also you might be able to stop yourself Get, or the things that you do that stop you getting injured, you don't know that you're doing them because you don't get injured, so you don't know yeah. that it's necessary. But the fact that you are staying injury-free is a sign that you're doing good things, and yeah. um, that's going to ultimately be built upon good quality movement. And you'll you will be able to assess some of that um, yourself. So that's a that was a big sort of takeaway homework piece um, from me. Yeah. But not to not to sort of go against what Tim was saying. Like if you if you are pain, in pain and you're injured. Like going to see a physiotherapist is number one priority. But I 100% think that was a point I wanted to make was that if you are, can you correct it first yourself? Like if we're training athletes, we could see if something move, which we say is like, okay, that's not how we want it to be. We want it to move like that. Let's all of a sudden work out what's tight. Let's do some stabilization work, get on a couch. Let's, the first port of call is, can we coach you out of it? Can I just get you to move better? as a result of making you aware of how you're moving. So if you find in a push-up that your arm's jumping out, you might have got the control and the stability and the joint range of movement to be able to actually put it in a good position and move better. That's just going to be the first number one best thing that you can do. And you probably won't be in pain and that's going to stop you from getting in pain. For everybody else, there might be some the need then to potentially go somewhere else uh, to get some support. But I also think that we need to be honest. I've known for a while that when I do dips on rings, I, I rotate a little bit. And I think it's because my right shoulder doesn't sit in the right in the right position. The other thing that I know, which I've ignored because it doesn't cause me pain, is when I do a tiger bend push-up, like my Jacko was seeing, you can see it from the video, I rock forward from my transition out the forearm stand and my right shoulder dives forward. And before I feel like I can push into my handstand, I have to reset my shoulder and then push back out. It does, it's massive. You move it quite a far away. And I've known, I've known that, but it's not caused me a problem. So now I've had to do something about it. Had I been more honest with myself before, I probably should have gone, before I started to get some pain in it, there's something not quite right there yeah. I need to address. It. And, and I've be, it's my ego. That's yeah. exactly that's, my it's, issue. It's a difficult thing to do yourself. It's why everyone, you know... As Novak Djokovic won um, Australian Open, or did he make mm. like it's no like people won't. I'm using him as an example just for, for whatever reason, but he's got a coach, and because his coach isn't better than him at tennis, otherwise he'd be the number one. Um, yeah. But he's able to help him still, and so having if you're you know what I should have done in that situation is gone. Uh, Timbo, when I see you doing that, like, you know your shoulder, do you think we should probably do, like, if, you, so if you're training with someone, like, look after each other, like, you're there to, yes, encourage them or not, but if you see some stuff that's a bit funky and, and doesn't look right and not symmetrical, you know, tell them, video it, and then and then show them and let them make their sort of, you know, you can't force someone to do something, but we can help guide each other probably a little bit better, and I don't mean that just between me and you, I mean just yeah. everyone, everyone out there. Um, we can we can guide and encourage each other. Yeah, I hope that helps in terms of you guys knowing that we are also not immune from making these mistakes and errors. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just where we're at. And the, yeah. the better we can get at acknowledging them and doing something about them, the better that we're going to progress longer term. Because the reality is now I've got to take a little step back to then go forwards. Where if I'd done it before, 
I wouldn't have had to. Yeah. And if I'd not dropped my training through the floor for four weeks, it would also maybe have helped a little bit. Because, but all that's done is serve to highlight the issues that were underlying. So yeah. by continuing to train, yeah, I might not have, something might not have flared up, but there was still an underlying issue. And that's all that's sort of like now raised its head. So, yeah. There's um, tons in there, crikey. There might be, the only thing I was a bit worried about when we went through is that, um, don't take those as to some quite blanket sweeping statements. Like I'm not anti CrossFit. I just know that people. Backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. Well, no, but I just, no, no, I, there just, was a few things where so because it's it. such a complex area, there could be a few things within that where it's sort of like, okay, that's a big statement to make, but we've done an hour nearly already. And, um, and it is detailed, but, um, I just, we, the point was to really just to try and highlight a few things of contextualize for people, um, to, yeah, to, to give a little bit of, uh, a flavor and texture to what we're talking about but i hope that has been useful um it's been an interesting little conversation for us because we sort of had a rough idea where we we're going to go with it but again it's such a, a big topic um and we've got some exciting stuff coming so any, any specific questions or areas that you want more sort of support and advice on but please i'm going to make a call and a plea to the people call to action don't <laughs> message us on instagram telling you you've got shoulder pain and asking us what you should do because all I'm going to do now is go podcast one one four, and and see and book in to see a physio. Well, yeah, just listen to this. But you might be coach yourself out of it. Ah, okay, first, yes, yeah. And then if if you're still in pain, go and see somebody. Yeah, it's honestly the best thing you can do. There was um, a number of exercises we mentioned um, throughout. If you want um, all of those, everything that we talked about in terms of exercises, there are tutorials for all of those. As I say, they make up our movement preparation of of all the programs. Um, in that are there inside our virtual classroom which is where our online um training programs etc are and an amazing community of people so if uh if you want to see them or have a refresh of them um you can get all of those inside the virtual classroom and you can access um everything on a seven day free trial so actually you know you can go and see those for a week for free um, and check them out give yourself a little refresh if you want to then stay part of it obviously you can and we'd love you to be in there but equally it's there for free if you need it. So that's it, Jack. That was a, there's some meat in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did give you... us, let us know. Um, well, firstly, if you've got a mate that you think needs to hear this, please, please share it with them. Um, mainly because that's going to help it hope potentially and hopefully help them, but also helps us because uh, you help us spread the, uh, the good news of the podcast. A lot of people have been going a little bit mental and crazy for it recently, which has been great. Um, and, because of that, the popularity around the podcast, we are doing our, just a reminder about our live uh, social event this year, is going to be bringing the Scorecast Nights podcast to life with the podcast live on the 14th of June in Nottingham. Um, I'm speaking daily, Tim. There's a couple of people, as we record this now, that you don't know have agreed that they're going to come. There's a few other people that I'm still working on, but I think we're up to five or Amazing. six guests that have been on the podcast. You're going to come not just um, experience the podcast live in terms of uh, live Q&A and interaction with them. We're going to be um, getting the guests, doing taster workshop sessions. So if, you know, the We Move guys, for example, are talking about deep ice meditation, well, we're going to jump in some deep ice and we're all, everyone that wants to, is going to be able to go and experience that. So um, we've got a number of uh, very, very special guests that have been on the podcast that you guys listening have loved and we're bringing them all together for this very exciting event. Save the day. And it's a free event. It's free. No cost. Free. Come on, hang out. Free in capitals. Just so you know, it's free. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, 14th of June in Nottingham. My last one, if you really enjoyed it today, guys, take a little screenshot, put it on your stories and we can share it. We like to share the love on that. And if you want to go to your favourite platform where you um, listen to podcasts, including iTunes, you can give us a five-star review. Just ignore the one, two, three, four. They, they, in our minds, they didn't count. Um, a shout out to... Um, uh, Colin, his email, his, his thing is Colin can do it, but um, he sent me a picture of like of, of like a five star like emoji thing. It's very clever. He gets was, it. He gets it. He gets it. He's on board. Right, guys, we're going to wrap this one up. So thank you for joining us on the podcast this week. We look forward to to creating another one for you to listen to next week and hearing your questions and you engaging with us because we think you guys are awesome. So until next time, class dismissed. So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts, so we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a lot of value out of it, guys, and we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value, and also if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars not as good. Keep it five stars. are the best. Five of your best stars, please. <laughs> and if you would like to find out more about the School of Calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got, head over to our virtual classroom. You can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com. And that is where we have got literally, possibly, the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world. It's definitely the best one we've done. And on that note, until next week, class dismissed. <laughs>